This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 114. 114. It's on page 510. 510 in your pew Bibles. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us. Please be seated. Well, this is the second of, uh, of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Uh, Hallel in Hebrew means praise. And so these particular set of hymns, 113 through 118, uh, are used and connected with the Passover. Psalm 113 and 114 were sung or recited before the Passover meal and is still done that way today. And then uh, Psalm 115 through 118 were either sung or recited after the meal. So these psalms are all about praising the Lord for his deliverance and specifically his deliverance from uh, the Lord's deliverance of his people from Egypt when they were in bondage there. And these uh, psalms uh, remind us of our own deliverance in Christ and encourages us. And so what God has done long ago, he continues to do in the lives of people. And I want to look at three things from this particular psalm today. God's purpose for his people, God's power for his people, and God's provision for his people. And what this psalm is calling us to do, it's calling on the entire earth to tremble at the presence of the Lord, the God of Jacob, because of the power he displayed in saving a people from slavery in Egypt to be his people. He's moved heaven and earth to save these people. And God has shown his power in delivering them from slavery, from oppression, from literally being unable to do anything for themselves. God wanted them to be his people. And as we look at this and think about our own deliverance, we should be filled with awe, with awe of the Lord. Well, first we see that God has a purpose in verses 1 and 2. This is important for us today. Uh, when we look at the world and, and all that's going on in it, it can seem like it's just out of control. Uh, we see uh, the war in Ukraine. We see a pandemic. We see all the problems that we have in, in our nation and the division and all these things that are going on that cause us to feel like this world is out of control. Well, that's the exact opposite message that we get here. God has a purpose 
And particularly a purpose for his people is highlighted here. Now, this is poetry. Hebrew poetry uh, is different than English poetry. You know, our, our poems usually rhyme or we have some uh, meter. You know, there's syllables that are equal. And, you know, I'm not an English teacher or a literature teacher, so that's the best I can do. You know what it is. You know poetry when you see it. Well, it's a little more difficult for us to see Hebrew poetry. But this particular psalm uh, is uh, a wonderful example of a, a Hebrew poetic device, probably the dominant Hebrew poetic device, which is parallelism, parallelism. And parallelism is, is simply what he's doing here. Um, you see statements made and then a similar parallel statement made right on top of it. Look at, let's look at verses 1 and 2 here. Um, when Israel went out from Egypt, that's one phrase, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, those two lines are saying the exact same thing, right? Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, which is equivalent to Israel, went out from a people of strange language. The Egyptians have a different language. So that's two parallel statements. Now look at the next verse 2. Judah became his sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. Again, a parallel statement. Judah, Israel, parts of Israel uh, is Judah. Perhaps this was written after the division of the kingdom. But Judah became his sanctuary. That's one phrase. Israel, his dominion. They're parallel phrases. And in fact, if you look at the whole Psalm 114, it has 16 lines that form eight verses, and each verse is a couplet, a parallel couplet. They have parallel meanings. So it is a great example of parallelism, and it refers to the Exodus from Egypt. In fact, some people say this is the Exodus Psalm par excellence. It is the, the best psalm about the Exodus in the whole Psalter. Well, we see here in verse 1, it refers to the Exodus from Egypt. God rescued these people out of slavery and oppression in Egypt, this foreign land where they spoke foreign tongue. You remember when Joseph's brothers came back, uh, came to him the last time, and he, was, uh, he, could, he spoke to his attendants in Egypt, and his brothers didn't know what he was saying. They had a different language. So through the leadership of Moses going, God rescues a people for himself. Now verse 2 tells us why he did it. And this is the important part. First, it tells us that Judah became his sanctuary. Sanctuary. Now, a sanctuary is a building dedicated to the service of God, a place in which the Lord is present. The tabernacle, the temple... Even this, this, we call this the sanctuary of our church. It's the place where we go to meet God. And it's set apart for a special use. We don't, we don't uh, remove the pews and have a basketball game in here because this is the sanctuary. This is the place where we worship. It's a special place. So the Lord is saying that God rescued the Israelites from Egypt so that he might have a people among whom he could dwell. So you see, it's not just that there's a sanctuary in Judah. Judah itself is his sanctuary. And because there's parallelism, I'm, I'm thinking it's the whole nation, Judah, Israel, everybody. 
God chose this people for himself so that he could dwell with them. God was with them. You see it all through the Exodus. How did they travel? By pillar of fire by night, by cloud by day. God's presence was with them. And they followed the Lord through the wilderness. Well, verse 2 goes on to say, not only does, does God want to, these people to dwell with them, to be with them, but as well, he says that Israel is his dominion. In other words, there are, these are the people over whom God rules. Of course, a dominion is the area that's under the rule of a monarch. That's the land that he uh, uh, is ruler of. And in this case, again, the area is a people. God rescued them so that he could have a people who were under him for himself. And the wonderful thing is that he's a benevolent king. Uh, he's the great king. Uh, he's the loving and merciful king. So it's a wonderful thing to be under the dominion of God. The, this echoes what God told Moses to say to the Israelites in Exodus 19 when he was there going about to go up Mount Sinai. He says, tell the Israelites this, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's exactly what he's saying here. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, come under, the dominion, come under my dominion, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So when God says he has a purpose here for Judah and Israel, of course, as I said before, he's referring to all that nation. God has made Judah his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The people of God are under his rule and God dwells with them. As, as he says throughout scripture, I will be your God and you shall be my people. So that's God's purpose in the Exodus and what he is doing there. God chose Israel to be his people. Well, good for Israel. Isn't that wonderful for them? Well, it's good for Christians as well. And I want to tell you why. What is true here of the nation of Israel is true of Christians in the church. Remember when God first made that promise to Abraham? You know, this, this nation was created from one man, Abraham. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Joshua told us, remember we looked at the last couple of chapters of Joshua where Joshua explains to us that Abraham's descendants worshipped other gods in that land. And God chose Abraham and called him to himself. And in Genesis 12 where we're introduced to, to, to Abraham and his uh, relationship with the Lord... It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now in Romans 11... Paul explains to us that the Gentiles have been grafted in to the olive tree that is the people of God. 
and branches were broken off that we might be grafted into that tree. In other words, the Jews rejected the Messiah. Some of them were broken off. The good news is that they can be grafted in, Paul tells us, again, and they will be. We should expect a a great revival amongst the Jews turning to Jesus. But we've been grafted in to the one people of God. And in uh, Galatians 3, 7 through 9, here's what Paul says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Genesis 12 that I just read. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So when it says, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, we are by faith united to Christ, but as well to Abraham. We're part of these people who who can say that we are his sanctuary and his dominion. God has a purpose for us. God doesn't have a a salvation program for for the Jews and and another one for the Gentiles. No, it's the same one. As for Christians, just like it was for those Jews, God's purpose is for us to be his people, a people with whom he dwells and rules over, sanctuary and dominion. God wants to be close to us. He wants to be our God, not on our terms. He's the king. He wants us to be under his dominion. Well, this is something we need to hear in our day and time. There's an illustration that has been shared by many people uh, over the last decade or so. Two fish, two young fish are swimming along and an old fish is coming in the opposite direction. And uh, as the old fish passes by, he says, how's the water, fellas? And he swims on. And the two young fish are swimming there, and, and one turns to the other and goes, what in the world is water? They're not aware of the environment in which they're living. And, and the, the, the same is true of us. I've been reading a lot about expressive individualism, and it's a complicated uh, philosophy, or actually it's, it's what we all are. We are all expressive individualists. And this has been coming along for the last 500 years, and it's manifesting itself in all that you see around us today. Why is there such division in our culture today? And let me just uh, tell you what is exp- expressive individualism. Robert Bella uh, coined that term. And this is from Carl Truman, a professor at Grove City College, uh, Religion and Theology. Expressive individualism holds that human beings are defined by their individual psychological core and that the purpose of life is allowing that core to find social expression in relationships. And anything that challenges it is deemed oppressive. To sum it up, we are taught, and everything that we value in life would tell us to be true to yourself. Whatever you feel like inside, that's what you should be. 
And anybody that tells you otherwise is just trying to oppress you or hates you. That's why when you, when you say, well, I think that's wrong over here, and the person goes, well, you're just hating on me. And when you're saying, no, I'm not hating you, I'm just disagreeing with you. Well, what they're feeling is that you're attacking their authentic self, their person. All of that to say, and I encourage you to go, you can do your own study on expressive individualism, because we need to be aware of what's going on in our world. This is where we are and what we've been trained to be. But just know this, at the very heart of it, it is self-centered, self-absorbed. We all are like this. We all are taught to look at ourselves inside and and we even as Christians can sometimes serve the Lord out of selfish ambition, out of selfish desires. In fact, it's not just Christians. I mean, you can look at anybody that's doing philanthropy. There's always a temptation to do it for yourself. You know, if I go and feed the poor, I can do it just to feel good about myself. And a lot of people, that's why they do it, to feel good about themselves. So inherently, it's a selfish reason to do that. And some of us can come to church and, and be involved because it makes us feel good about ourselves. Well, that's not what this psalm is talking about when it talks about, I want a people for my sanctuary and my dominion. That's saying, look, it's not about you. It's about God. And God is forming and allowing us to become a people for himself to, to live under his rule. So this is challenging my own personal life, and I've been asking myself, what would it look like, what would my life look like, what would your life look like if it was totally God-centered? What would that look like? To truly say, not my will, but yours be done. What would your life look like, look like if God called all the shots all the time? I mean, I don't know that we can ever know that in this life because we are sinners and, you know, we want to do what we want to do sometimes and we rebel against the Lord. And thankfully, God is faithful and merciful and kind and he's working on us and knows that we are a work in progress. But God's purpose for us is not just to use him for our own selfish ends. God's purpose is for us to conform to his rule. And if we learn that and do that, then our lives will be truly what they were created to be. That's what God created us to be. That's what God was doing when he rescued the, the, the children of Israel from Egypt and what he did in Christ for us. So God has a purpose. Now God's going to carry this purpose out by his power. And that's what he did for uh, the people in the Exodus. Look at verse 3. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Now he's referring to the Red Sea. That's the sea that, that they crossed, fleeing the Egyptians, and God parted the sea. Then when they came to the Promised Land, the same thing happened and they crossed the Jordan. They carried the Ark of the Covenant across, the, the priests did, and as soon as their feet touched the water, the waters were held back and they were able to cross on dry land. And then, of course, the mountain shaking it refers to the covenant God made with his people at Mount Sinai after they had left Egypt. You know, the mountain was trembling and darkness and fire and, 
and God uh, appeared to Moses there on the top of the mountain. So uh, this whole psalm, this, this section of the psalm uses this exuberant personification describing the Red Sea and Jordan River as if they fled from God. Uh, and then there's mockery. Look at verse 5. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? Uh, you know, it's the, the equivalent of the, you know, someone who's winning the battle and the, the other uh, army is in retreat and they're crying out, Come back, you cowards! What are you running from? Come back and fight! Well, that's kind of what the, the psalmist is saying here. What ails you, O sea, that you're fleeing? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. This imagery here is just conveying how powerful the Lord is. Even the strongest natural forces, the sea, would not dream of resisting him. However, the events of this psalm are not just displays of raw power. That's not the point. The point is that God used his power for the sake of his people. And it was true in the Exodus and even more true of the greatest act of redemption that, that the world has known, which is Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ. Christ went to the battle and nothing could thwart him from, from conquering sin so that we might be forgiven and freed from the power of sin and one day freed from the very presence of sin. Christ has conquered sin on the cross. And he has defeated the last enemy, death, at his resurrection. Paul does the same thing the psalmist does and when he's talking about resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And when he's talking about how Christ has conquered death through his resurrection, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? That's, a mocking, that's mocking death. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone because Christ has conquered it. So this is it. Nothing can stop God from fulfilling his purpose to have a people for his sanctuary and dominion. That should comfort us. As we look at the world and the turmoil all around us and we don't know what's going on, God has a purpose. God has a plan and nothing, no, no nuclear power, the most powerful thing on earth can thwart his plan. If you are his child, no one can snatch you out of his hand. God is powerful. Finally, God's provision for his people. Verse 7 and 8, particularly verse 8. So it calls us, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. And of course, this is referring to when Moses struck the rock. You know, the children of Israel didn't have fresh water. He struck the rock and water came from the rock. Now you're talking about, you know, we often, I don't know, you see depictions of it where it's like, Moses is standing next to a rock and there's like a little stream coming out. But this water, it had to be enough for like a million people. So, I mean, when he hit that rock, it probably was like coming out like who knows how big, like Niagara Falls or something. I'm not even sure. But it had to be a massive amount of water to, to water all these people. A great, amazing provision that the Lord made there through Moses. Well, Paul does something interesting in 1 Corinthians 10. He's warning the people in, in Corinth about idolatry. And he says this. He's, he's, he's looking back to the people who left Egypt but died in the desert because they 
they turned away from the Lord. He says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. The rock of their provision in the wilderness was none other than Christ. He is their God and provider. He is the creator, sustainer, and ruler of creation. Christ is. And he has given himself to provide food. You think of uh, John 6, I am the bread of life. And water, John 4, he told the woman at the well, you know, if you knew who you were speaking to, you, you'd ask me and I would give you living water. What Israel experienced, Brian Chappell says, in the miraculous deliverance and provision on their behalf shows forth the glory of Christ. He rules over creation in part to provide in love and grace for his people. God's control over sea, river, rock, and hill demonstrates his sovereign power over all his created order. Yet this very power is exercised not for a mere show, but for the express purpose of delivering, protecting, and providing for the people of his covenant love. So we should not fear what man can do to you, as Paul says in Romans 8. We shouldn't worry about the future. Our future is secure. But rather, we should tremble before the Lord in awe, respect, not just fear like cowering fear, but the fear you have for, uh, for a loving Father that you highly respect, that has moved heaven and earth to make you His child, to, to dwell with you and to be over you, to protect you. Because a ruler doesn't just call the shots, a ruler protects He's the king who fights for us, and he showed that on the cross. As we sang, and I think the hymn writer was getting at it, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Does that fill you with uh, uh, wanting to say, how great thou art, God. You are so great to do that. You are so great to be able, powerful, to be powerful enough to conquer not just our enemies, but the greatest enemy, our sin, and the last enemy, which is death. Do you know that today? Do you, do you have a relationship with him? Are you under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you, have you submitted to him? Have you come to him to be cleansed? Uh, do you know what it is to have a relationship with him? If you don't, just cry out to him. Just call upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the scriptures tell us. So call upon the Lord and you'll be able to sing this. And for all of us who know that, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God has you. God has a plan. He's executing that plan. Uh, and, and, and we need not worry. God has us. God has his people for himself. And he will bring us home. Let's pray together.
Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word that so encourages us as we see the truth of it in all your greatness and glory displayed there and how you love us so much that you would, that you would move heaven and earth literally to save a people for yourself. Thank you for how you called Abraham out and how you uh, promised uh, land and descendants to him and to bless the nations and you brought them from Egypt into the promised land. And, and Lord, we have that heritage today, the, the, the blessing that's come to the nations. Thank you for the privilege that you have granted us. And Lord, help us all to know this. And also help us to live a life worthy of this great calling that you have placed upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.